African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. And then f- Good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You are tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Kumbero Mujerere, and we are currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. On the program today, we are looking at the ongoing World Economic Forum taking place in Davos, Switzerland. But before we do that, let's get our news update from the news desk with Amanda Machaka. Top stories, the Gambia's National Assembly passes a resolution to allow President Yaya Jame to stay in office for three months from Wednesday. The Nigerian president expresses deep sadness and regret after an Air Force fighter jet accidentally killed more than 100 refugees and aid workers. And U.S. President-elect Donald Trump has been hit with a defamation lawsuit by a former contestant on his reality TV show The Apprentice. Good morning. The Gambia's National Assembly has passed a resolution to allow President Yaya Jameh to stay in office for three months from Wednesday. Jameh lost an election in December to opposition leader Adama Barrow and is due to hand over power on Thursday. But the veteran leader has declared a state of emergency and says he will not step down before a court hears his election challenge. Meanwhile, thousands of tourists are being flown out of the Gambia. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari has expressed deep sadness and regret after a Nigerian Air Force fighter jet on a mission against Boko Haram mistakenly bombed a refugee camp, killing more than 100 refugees and eight workers. Military Commander Major General Lucky Irabo confirmed an accidental bombardment in the northeastern town of Ran near the border with Cameroon, saying some civilians were killed. It is believed to be the first time Nigeria's military has acknowledged making such a mistake in a region where villagers have in the past reported civilian casualties in the near-daily bombings targeting the Islamic militants. The Burundian government has instructed its foreign and defense ministries to start the withdrawal of its troops from the African Union force fighting militants in Somalia. The move comes after the government repeatedly threatened to quit its mission in Somalia following non-payment of its troops. Defense Minister Emmanuel Ndahom Vugie told Parliament last November that the soldiers had not received their monthly allowance, which was supposed to be paid by the European Union. Burundi's deputy presidential spokesperson, Jean-Claude Larerwa and Denzako explains. 
cette correspondance vient mettre en application le contenu. This correspondence comes to implement the part of the content of the recent president's address to the nation, whereby he spoke about the Burundian contingent in the peacekeeping mission in the Republic of Somalia. As you know, those troops have been doing a tremendous job, but until now it is unfortunate that the memorandum of understanding signed between the government of Burundi and the African Union has been violated by the African Union itself. So as long as the memorandum is not respected in all its provisions, you understand that the government of Burundi must take relevant measures to withdraw its troops. They are Republican troops, not mercenaries. The Sudanese government must end politically motivated and sometimes deadly attacks on Tafuri students at universities across the country. This according to a report released by Amnesty International covering a wave of attacks spanning three years. The report says dozens of students have been killed, injured and expelled from universities since 2014 for organizing around and speaking out against human rights violations in Tafur. Amnesty says the attacks are mostly carried out by agents of Sudan's National Intelligence Security to service and student supporters of the ruling National Congress Party. Amnesty International researchers carried out 84 interviews between October 2014 and October 2016 for the report, including with 52 students from 14 universities across Sudan, 32 lawyers, activists, journalists and academics. And finally, United States President-elect Donald Trump has been hit with a defamation lawsuit by a former contestant on his reality TV show, The Apprentice, who had previously accused him of sexual misconduct. Sama Zavos's lawsuit claims that Trump, said to become the 45th U.S. president on Friday, lied when responding to allegations that he tried to kiss and grope her without her consent. The Republican president-elect, who faced a spate of sexual misconduct accusations in the week leading up to the election has previously denied any wrongdoing and vowed to sue the more than a dozen women behind the claims. Recapping your top stories, the Gambia's National Assembly passes a resolution to allow President Yaya Jameh to stay in office for three months from Wednesday. The Nigerian president expresses deep sadness and regret after an Air Force fighter jet accidentally killed more than 100 refugees and aid workers. And U.S. President-elect Donald Trump has been hit with a defamation lawsuit by a former contestant of his reality TV show, The Apprentice, who had previously accused him of sexual misconduct. Agro Africa. Hello. From the first Wednesday of this month, Agro Africa will be coming to you at 9.20 a.m. Central African Time and on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central African Time. Tune in to Agro Africa and listen to stories about agriculture and its development in the African continent. We are on shortwave, internet live streaming and DSTV audio bouquet channel 802. Agro Africa, bringing agriculture to the comfort of your home. Agro Africa. 
Thank you, Amanda, for that news update. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You are also welcome to interact with us via Twitter at Channel Africa, Facebook, or you can simply SMS your views to 079-695-7930. If you want to email us, do so at info at channelafrica.org. A record 3,000 leaders from government, business and civil society are set to gather for the 47th World Economic Forum in Davos Closters, Switzerland. They are attending a meeting that seeks to address critical leadership challenges. Under the theme Responsive and Responsible Leadership, the meeting will focus on four leadership challenges for 2017, reimagining global cooperation, revitalizing the global economy, reforming capitalism and preparing for the fourth industrial revolution. To look at this gathering, we are now joined on the line by Atul Padalka from a company called Biz Farm, as well as Morafe Tabane, as she is the SABC economics reporter. Also joining us on the line is Ayabonga Kawe, an economic justice program manager at Oxfam. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm going to start with you, uh, Morafe Tabane. Can you just give us a background in terms of what has been happening in Davos so far at this uh, World Economic Forum event? Well, a number of issues have been uh, discussed here from uh, the whole issue around the trade relations between uh, China and the United States, as well as uh, issues of uh, climate change, issues of uh, reform issues of uh, inequality as well as just making sure that uh, as the uh, different companies in the world are making uh, so much money, they don't forget that the poor and also making sure that uh, they improve the conditions of the people whom uh, live in the areas where they're operating in. So it's a whole number of uh, issues that have been discussed. And I think that uh, for, for, for the longest time we've seen um, multinational corporations uh, sometimes uh, just start talking around uh, these issues and some people feeling that uh, a lot of people, particularly the poor, are not uh, benefiting from issues uh, around globalization. Yesterday we heard uh, the president of uh, China, Xi Jinping, talking about uh, globalization and also really defending a whole issue around globalization, saying that uh, some of the problems that we have seen in the world around poverty, uh, around war, are really as a result of the turbulence that we have seen in both uh, regional and uh, global uh, uh, places. So as, as a result, uh, a number of in South Africa endorsing um, that uh, speech, for instance, through Ramaphosa when he was addressing the media yesterday, together with that in South Africa, he actually said that he felt uh, that uh, a Xi Jinping speech was uh, quite laudable. So uh, a number of things are coming out, and of course, um, later today we're expecting uh, 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 some of the delegates here to talk about uh, climate change as well as uh, human rights in a multipolar world. And, of course, uh, you remember that the concept of human rights really means different things in different parts of the world. And so what uh, delegates are trying to do or will be trying to do around this particular issue is really to look at the fact that as they continue to move towards a multipolar world, how will demographic, cultural, and religious considerations impact on um, how uh, these companies are treating their fellow human beings and, of course, we also will be having a press conference which will look at the whole issue around the executive pay, whether it really is justified 
that uh, when you look at the salaries of some of the uh, chief executive officers and you look at uh, how, uh, the salaries uh, that some of the lowest paid workers are earning, uh, how that gap can be closed, just to ensure that uh, everybody can share in this pie. Let, let me bring you in here, Ayabonga Kawe, uh, the Economic Justice Program Manager at uh, Oxfam. What do you make of what has been happening uh, in Davos, especially when one looks at the uh, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa presentation yesterday? Um, what do you make of that presentation and uh, what do you think is going to happen um, uh, going forward? I think if we, if we to look at um, sort of the presentation by Team South Africa at Davos yesterday, um, to be frank with you, I mean, it's much of what, what is expected um, and significantly in line with um, the, the same message that they've been punting at Davos um, since the early 90s, which is that South Africa is open to business. However, I think one of the other things that they've, they've sort of gone to, to some lives to emphasize is that, you know, um, compared to when they were at Davos last year, uh, this year, they're coming with a much stronger message, especially around sort of the industrial relations framework, um, um, particularly off the back of a few sort of agreements that made like around um, industrial relations and uh, sort of the fraught and uh, relations and distrust between big business and organized labor. Um, and so I think, you know, if there's anything that, that we can take from the message that they presented was that, one, South Africa is open for business, but also, two, key stakeholders within the political economy of South Africa. Um, are united in sort of trying to get the economy um, on a positive growth trajectory once again, but also really trying to to deal with some of the more long-term and structural challenges of the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morafi, um, did Team South Africa have any message uh, proposals uh, to actually solve South Africa's economic challenges? Yes, uh, definitely they did. I mean, uh, one of the messages that they are trying to push here is that um, South Africa is open for business. Uh, South Africa is trying to create a conducive environment uh, for investors here. And remember that uh, South Africa really, really, really badly needs foreign direct investment to boost the economy and also to really deal and reduce the high unemployment rate in the country. Remember that our unemployment rate is standing at around 27%. And, of course, Sir uh, Ramaphosa also uh, yesterday talking about uh, the fact that uh, they will also make sure that uh, they deal with policy issues, legislative issues that have been causing uh, this uncertainty around um, uh, uh, for investors. So they, he, he said that um, they will ensure that 20, in 2017 that greater policy certainty. And, of course, policy certainty is really a factor that is incited as uh, one of the deterrents for, poli- for potential investors in the country. Remember that we still have the MPRDA, um, where people, you know, investors are not sure exactly what is happening in this particular, in that particular document. Obviously, you remember that um, what is concerning most investors is that government has said that there are certain assets, for instance, that would be classified as a strategic asset when it comes to the minerals in the country. So investors are really waiting with bated breath to hear what, which, what, what assets those are. 
Morafitabane, SABC Economics reporter. Let me thank you for now. Um, but also joining us here for our discussion is Atul Padalka. is from a company called Base Farm. Uh, th- thank you, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Atul. Uh, what do you make of uh, the you know World Economic uh, Forum event and what has been happening so far, particularly when one looks at uh, Team South Africa's presentation at the event? Well, um, thank you very much for having me. Good morning, uh, listeners. I think um, we've already had some very good input from uh, Morafe and Ayabong, uh, Mr. Kwabe. Uh, so I think uh, the World Economic Forum is a great place to be there, just simply to make sure you're making contact with the investor community, the influencer community. <laughs> and I think Team South Africa has always been well represented. The message pretty much is clear and consistent. Uh, this was made last year and is being made this year as well. Is that South Africa is open for business. And I think in the international investor community, that message has to be remembered consistently. We have, I think, as a country, definitely made our mark. Uh, we've had very senior ranking officials, ministers, deputy presidents, and, and a fairly significant uh, delegation making their mark in uh, South Africa. And I think South Africa is often seen almost as the leader amongst the other African countries. So it's definitely looked upon. Uh, that consistent message has remained constant. And I think uh, South Africa has always made that uh, significant mark in this forum. So. We're very happy about it that investor confidence maintenance is important, especially when one considers, uh, and Africa always sometimes tends to be in news for the wrong reason. But once the case is presented as what the facts really are, then I think the investor community has a lot much more of an appetite to listen to the good news. And that when backed is, uh, is a lot much more credible when it comes from the right leadership. So I think it's a great time and place to be. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the year, when we set the tone, it, it's a great way for the rest of the year ahead there. Mm-hmm. All right, we are going to take a quick uh, break at the moment, and then when we return, we are going to continue with our discussion about the World Economic Forum. Stay with us. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app. For Android, you can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome back. Uh, we are talking about the World Econ- Economic Forum and uh, some of the you know presentations that have been uh, put forward by different countries in uh, Davos, Switzerland. Uh, joining me on the line is Atul Padalka from a company called Biz Farm, as well as Ayabonga Trawe. He is an economic justice program manager at Oxfam. We, we are trying to dissect uh, the issues that have come up in uh, world in the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. Let me come back to you, Ayabonga. Um, in fact, um, you know, could, could we possibly be downgraded by the rating agencies anytime soon, um, given the fact that they, you know, there have been some prob- economic problems that were presented to us last year, um, the year that turned out to be uh, tumultuous in terms of our economy. Do you think that we could possibly be downgraded anytime soon? Um, I mean, I think that would be... For me to maybe answer you directly would be a speculative exercise. 
And I don't think much of this is uh, sort of based on speculation. I do think that there's a lot of things that the, the rating agencies have flagged, um, sort of in their assessment of the South African economy and the economic outlook in the country. Um, and much of that has to do not only with short-term sort of challenges, such as the low-growth environment post-2008, but actually have to do with long-term structural questions, the state of our education system, the concentrated market structure that we have in our society, the high levels of unemployment, the high levels of inequality. Um, and I think, for me, the significant part of, of, of the exercise is not necessarily whether we speculate and sort of play out for time and say whether or not we'll be downgraded. It's about does Team South Africa actually have a plan to deal with some of these long-term, more structural questions from a policy perspective, but also from the perspective of actually rallying different stakeholders together to create a basis of will to really deal with some of the challenges that we have. And of course, I think for us as Oxfam, one of the major issues that we concern ourselves with is this issue of inequality. Mm. And therefore, you know, in our recent report, one of the things that we mentioned is that if we are to continue with the same business as usual approach, even to our relations to the investor community and even in terms of how we approach our economic policy, then we're likely to have the same kinds of outcomes that we've had over the last few decades. And if we go in that kind of direction, then we're likely to have a much more sort of negative long-term structural outlook for our economy. And certainly we are saying that there needs to be a new policy agenda largely geared towards creating a more inclusive economy so that you can create the underpinning for the basis of inclusive growth that can actually benefit everyone. And not what we've seen, for instance, in the early 2000s in South Africa, where even if the economy was growing at around 5-6%, you still were hemorrhaging jobs within the economy, you still weren't creating a significant amount of jobs for you to deal with the inequality and the poverty that we have. Um, actually, the, the report that you released recently, it's quite damning when one looks at the inequality gap that we're still seeing in, 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 in the globe. Uh, but would you say that business has got an important role to play in terms of growing our economy? Um, um, Ayabonga? Look, certainly, I mean, they have a role to play in growing the economy, but I think also business and the investor community uh, are coming to the realization or the acknowledgement that they must do a lot more to deal with um, not only just issues of growth, but ensuring that that growth is sustained and equitable. Um, and the benefits of that growth are actually shared by more than just, you know, a concentrated uh, 10% or 1% in an economy. And so I think, you know, if, if, you, if, if the words of Klaus Schwab, who's the founder of the World Economic Forum, or anything to go by, there's a clear recognition by the elites in our society that there's a lot of frustration by those who feel they've been left out by globalized market capitalism. And therefore, there's a need to really sort of um, um, begin to do things a lot more differently than the Washington consensus or even the neoliberalism that we've seen um, sort of being punted by the IMF and the World Bank um, over the last few decades or so. Mm-hmm. Atul, the Chinese President Xi Jinping has defended globalization, pushing, pushing back against the America First rhetoric of incoming U.S. President Donald Trump and signaling Beijing's desire to play a bigger role on the global stage. How is this going to impact on American policy, which seem to be a protectionist? Um, Atul? Well, it's a very interesting time, especially considering the transition between the uh, one president, President Obama, who's just uh, given his last uh, parting uh, speech on one hand, and on the other hand, we have a very controversial President Trump, uh, who's yet to be formally sworn in, and there's already a lot of uh, talk about the way he's interpreting his relationship with different countries. 
Um, in fact, uh, the incoming American president is now viewed in some cases, from some quarters, almost as a business risk. And generally, the world view seems to be that how the new U.S. president is going to step in and his relationship and his views on several different policies, immigration, for example, um, his relationship with Russia, for example, these are going to pretty much be very critical factors uh, which will guide the new world order, the world economic order. Interestingly enough, China itself seems to be also going through its own challenges. Its rate of economic growth has uh, reduced to a certain extent. Um, and, and its appetite, however, for uh, a strong global presence has, has continued uh, nevertheless. So we are, we are now also seeing emergence of other superpowers, the likes of India coming in with a much uh, better improved growth rate coming, um, coming uh, in place. Uh, so it's a very interesting time and uh, I think the critical part of it is that if we have to address this issue of inequality um, and especially the upliftment of the poor, the protectionism policies from any country are not really going to help too much in this regard. Sure. So we have to watch very closely this case right now. Sure. And of course, uh, Trump uh, campaigned on a promise to confront China more aggressively on trade and renegotiate or ditch multilateral trade agreements. Um, can we expect, uh, expect confrontational economic policies in China-America relations in the future? Well, it's all about jobs at the end of the day because uh, what's been happening is uh, the Chinese... Uh, advantage from a labor cost point of view and its uh, appetite for, uh, for for feeding the exports to the rest of the world to the point of becoming almost the world's factory in its own sense is costing jobs in many sectors of many uh, countries in the world, South Africa included for that matter. And obviously if presidents have to sh- show to their electorate that they are creating jobs, they need to create those jobs even if it comes at a point of taking a certain protectionism uh, kind of an approach. At the same time, it unfortunately goes against a liberal trade point of view. And and where the balance lies is essentially going to be that discussion around the negotiating table between these powers. And it ultimately also boils down to the equation and the personal relationship that heads of state uh, departments are able to strike between them. And especially when we see... Uh, new government coming in after the old government it's a pretty significant shift in policies and that starts uh, kind of questioning the world order about a country in its position so I think we will need to watch this space very closely because it also has a lot of implications on South Africa Um, Ayabonga, there is a general belief that Europe's economic momentum will slow a little, uh, primarily because of Brexit and political uncertainties. Um, How is that going to impact on the negotiations in Davos, do you think, Ayabonga? Look, I mean, even even if the the sort of European economy contracts over the the medium term, um, it's it's not going to necessarily totally displace Europe is a major economic power across the globe. Um, and I think from, from our perspective as South Africa, um, if, I'm, if I'm to speculate on some of the conversations that are going to be happening, I think it's going to be clear that, you know, uh, Europe, even in the medium term, is going to continue to be a significant trading partner for South Africa. I think there's a lot of existing agreements between, between the two, the two uh, entities. And therefore, I think those conversations, um, even in light of Brexit, are not going to necessarily... Um, take on a tenor that's very different to how they've always been. I think now, you know, there might be a possibility for much more 
greater bargaining space for countries in the developing world or even in the global south, um, largely as a result of a more fragmented Europe and a Europe that economically isn't probably as dominant as it used to be. But I think it, it, it doesn't really mean that Europe is, doesn't remain a significant economic player in the, in the globe. I think it continues to be that. Um, but I think from our from our perspective, it's also about how do we then, you know, in light of this um, sort of rebalancing of power globally, um, begin to think of, of some of the domestic issues that you spoke to earlier on, for instance, from a jobs perspective. How do we actually, you know, think differently about renegotiating some of the trade agreements in a manner that actually prioritizes some of our uh, urgent domestic challenges that we have? And of course, um, you know, President Donald Trump is going to be sworn in on Friday and there's a lot of expectations from around the globe in terms of uh, what he's bringing into the White House. Um, 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 Some of the expectations are that the U.S. economy will accelerate even before any Trump stimulus. What is your take on that, uh, Ayabonga? Look, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of people are sort of playing the bogey that, that the United States is probably going to be the most protectionist of all in order to sort of reclaim back some of the American jobs that um, sort of the seem, are seemingly having to be of loss to, to, to either Asia, Mexico, and a range of other places. I, I don't necessarily see it playing itself out. I think you're likely to have a situation where, you know, the, the, the ideological outlook and orientation of the investor community and associated institutions. Um, we, we believe has always been conservative and therefore, you know, you're likely to see this positive sentiment on the part of, of the markets and the investor community when someone like Trump comes in. Um, and, and of course, if they come in, especially on a wicket that says, look, you know, we're going to lower taxes, we're going to actually create industrial safeguards and, and, and protection, then you're likely to see that kind of, that kind of positive bullish sentiment. However, we do think that, you know, um, I think Trump comes in at a time globally where there's a growing nationalistic sentiment, um, and, and, and therefore there needs to be a much broader conversation around what that necessarily means for existing agreements between the United States um, and the world more, more, more broadly. All right, hold it there, gentlemen. We're going to take another short break. When we return, we are going, going to continue our discussion about the World Economic Forum. Stay with us. Change your game. your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Welcome back. You are listening to African Dialogue. My name is Kumbaro Munjarere. And today we are talking about the World Economic Forum. I'm joined on the line by Atul Padalka from a company called Biz Farm and Ayabangatawe. He is an Economic Justice Program Manager at Oxfam. Um, before we went to break, Ayabonga, you were still talking about, um, you know, whether Trump is going to bring anything different uh, when one looks at the stimulus that he might actually introduce. Um, is there anything that you want to add uh, at all on what Ayabonga has been uh, saying before we took a break? Well, yes, just a quick couple of things. I think the Trump presidency is going to be a very different presidency from one which we have seen, uh, from many of those we have seen uh, before. It's being run by an entrepreneur and a maverick at that. So we are going to be seeing a lot of controversies and personal malignment and a lot of other different kinds of things, which normally, um, if you take uh, the Obama administration, they've been very clear and clean and stayed completely out of uh, that space. So we are going to see a lot of uh, fireworks in that space. That's number one. Second is we are also going to see a very nationalistic rhetoric from uh, the new president coming in, probably. And that's going to mean shaking up and making a lot of friends and probably even enemies um, from the U.S. point of view. We don't know. We still have to watch and see. But it's going to be definitely not business as usual. And that's something we need to therefore watch very closely for. We, mm. therefore, I think, uh, need to position ourselves in such a way that recognizing the size and the influence that the American presidential economy has in the world order, make sure that we also have the right kind of, uh, you know, alignment with, with that kind of ideology going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming back to you, Ayabonga, let's talk about the role of the non-governmental organizations at this Davos uh, meeting. Um, how, how do, you know, what kind of a role do non-governmental organizations play at this meeting, Ayabonga? I mean, I think it's a, mi- it's a mixed role. Um, if you compare, for instance, international NGOs like Oxfam, um, they tend to have sort of a much bigger pride of place. Um, in the World Economic Forum. But I think we must also remember that, you know, the, the Davos meeting is a, is a meeting for global business and political leaders. Um, and therefore, I think, you know, the role of um, of NGOs in many instances in the conversations is a consultative one. Um, and, and for us, I mean, as Oxfam also, it's a, it's a role to really agitate um, for, a part, for, for some of the things that we really hold, hold dear. Um, and in particular, agitate for, for a more equal world, um, Without extreme inequality and without without extreme poverty. Now, now, for, you know, the fact of the matter is that those kind of conversations happen alongside conversations that are geared around deal making, that are geared around sort of ensuring that investment happens. Um, and therefore, you know, we are under no illusions that this is an elite meeting, um, and that the work of NGOs is not necessarily um, only in, in platforms of that nature, but more importantly, should be grounded in communities. And so, if anything, I think. NGOs come into that space to bring the voice of, of community, albeit begrudgingly, but I think they are able to really put some of those issues that are at the heart of the 99% on the agenda of work, and whether or not those are taken seriously from a policy perspective after the, the travel meet is, is a moot point. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier on, Ayabonga, you actually reflected on the report that you released uh, recently uh, that revealed that only eight richest men of the world own half of the world's wealth in the backdrop of poverty, inequality, and joblessness. How is the World Economic Forum impacted upon by all this? 
Look, I mean, I, as I said before, I think it's going to influence the panel of the conversation, whether or not that, that translates into anything beyond this expensive talk shop is, 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 is a considerable point of contention and, and conversation. However, I do think that, you know, the, the statistics that we've released um, are, are well known by a lot of multilateral organizations and even uh, nation-state governments. Uh, the question then becomes, what are the, some of the ideas around overcoming some of these challenges which we clearly understand are not necessarily short-term, but are structural um, and are long-term, as I said before. And so certainly we think that, that the report that we've released is probably going to influence the tenor of the conversation, and that's why we agitate for the kind of things we agitate for. Um, however, I think we are under no illusion that it's actually going to influence the direction of the entire meet. It, it remains a meet for the extensive sort of uh, uh, upper echelons of our society, the 1%. Um, and I think, you know, our fixation with them is, is also largely because we feel they have a significant role in reproducing some of the inequality that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Let me bring you in here, Atul. Just how quickly is the gulf widening between the rich and the poor? And should the world be concerned about this latest development of this, um, you know, glutinous eating, um, Atul? Yes, absolutely. I think the divide is definitely something which is uh, which is bringing us to the foundation of sustainability. Uh, the fact that earlier we were talking about about 60 plus minus people holding that kind of wealth has now boiled down to just about eight people is even more concerning. Uh, we in South Africa are even more concerned because we are one of the very high Gini coefficient kind of countries. Um, we cannot exist in a world order where this uh, unequal, unequal concentration of wealth and uh, not adequate enough transfer of that wealth into the poorer people uh, who are living, many of them, under $2 a day. So we cannot have this, sustain, uh, this situation to be sustainable. And I think what world leaders need to address is what are more practical and equitable ways in terms of making this as an equitable society. And We've seen some steps. Some of those eight people have already pledged a lot of their wealth to poverty alleviation, fighting HIV and AIDS and things like that. So they are trying their own bit. Uh, problem is it's not enough. Mm. Problem is it's not a problem that's going to solve itself. It seems to be happening that this is getting worse and worse. And I think uh, if, if we look at the fourth industrial revolution kind of uh, trend happening, what the digital economy seems to be doing is uh, aggregating this to a certain extent because if you see some of the eight people, they are all internet millionaires, billionaires, and so forth. Whereas if we were to use the power of the internet in, in spreading this wealth a lot more equitably, it would it's like a two-edged sword. It can work for us or it can work against us. And it seems by the looks of it, it's working against us. And I think what policy frameworks, leaderships, and the responsibility of the top 1% is is using these tools for the upliftment of the world. Because it's no point in just becoming rich. The real wealth these people should look forward to leaving behind when they pass on in life is the upliftment and leave their name and a legacy. And I think that's the important point that we need to emphasize to the top 1%. And, of course, the, the bottom remaining people should also, uh, you know, pull up their socks and uh, take the necessary steps in building their own necessary skills and putting in the necessary hard work, learning from the success of these top 1% and uh, shaping up their own destiny and not wait for handouts and free money and things like that.
But 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 what do you think needs to happen in order to make sure that this wealth is distributed equitably uh, quite sooner? Uh, because you, your organization has been actually at the forefront with other non-governmental organizations um, advocating for equality and uh, for the just world in terms of the economy. Uh, you know, for, for how long do you think this is going to take? Don't you think, uh, you know, something needs to be done drastically in order to address this issue of inequality? At all. Absolutely. I think the policy frameworks need to be reviewed again from that point of view. Uh, whatever is being done is not enough. And we take a position from the point of, you know, select the best but uplift the rest. Uh, increasingly, the world seems to be only working on the direction of selecting the best and rewarding the top few. Uh, the, the upliftment of the others doesn't seem to be a part of the agenda. And it is done in a legislative way to a certain extent, but I think sometimes the enforcement or the... Uh, or the spirit behind it is not actually seen in effect. And I think that's something which uh, becomes a part of accountability and sustainability because this inequitability is not something which is going to help the world order to remain sustainable. And it applies equally to leadership, whether it's political or economic for that matter. Mm. The organizers of the World Economic Forum have said over half of the sessions, from more than 400 sessions they will hold, one of the critical elements will be to discuss the issues of social inclusion and human development. Why is that so critical in your opinion, uh, Ayabonga? Look, I mean, it's part of a global development agenda, um, as encapsulated in the Sustainable Development Goals which I think have also flagged this question of social inclusion and uh, human development um, as a key part of, of the agenda. Um, and, and certainly it's something that, that uh, I think World Economic Forum is, is acutely aware of, that um, you know, it has the power of, of really undermining the understanding of our social purpose. However, I think there are a lot of other sessions in the... There's a lot of other sessions um, within the, 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 the World Economic Forum, for instance, the session on executive pay, which we think is part and parcel of the practical approaches that we can do to deal with inequality. The other one is to really restore the, the ownership of the land away from a concentrated few, but actually give it um, to people. And, and, and I think it's part of a program of, of a really redistributive kind of policy rather than a policy agenda which largely assumes that if you prioritize the profitability of firms, some of, some of that will trickle down, uh, which is something that we clearly haven't seen. So I think it's part and parcel of that agenda and really creating cooperation from a tax and labor perspective between countries that's going to take us to where we need to on this question of inequality. Mm-hmm. And then other issues to be deliberated um, at the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, some of the issues that will be deliber- deliberated upon would include food security. Uh, why does it matter? Unfortunately, we have lost uh, one of our guests on the line. Um, it seems like we have lost um, all of my guests on the line here. Uh, we seem to be having a technical problem. We'll take a quick ad break and then we'll come back just after this. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, If you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
All right. Um, it seems like we are not able to re-establish contact with our guests. Um, I would like to thank you so much for having joined us on the program today. We are going to leave you with some bit of uh, music. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, cheers for now. She don't try to hide it. Diamonds on the surface and she wins an Morning with your economics news. I'm Wisani Matebula. Most delegates of the World Economic Forum in Switzerland have welcomed Chinese President Xi Jinping's opening remarks, which focused on many issues affecting different parts of the world, including globalization. Jinping's presence at the meeting comes amid rising tensions between Beijing and U.S. President-elect Donald Trump, who will be inaugurated on Friday, the final day of the World Economic Forum in Davos. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says Jinping's speech is relevant to the current precarious global climate. It was great listening to President Xi Jinping, uh, iconic global speech, which in many ways addresses a number of issues that countries around the world are having to grapple with. 
Airtel Kenya's announcement of the second staff retrenchment within one year has raised questions on the firm's ability to mount a challenge on market leader Safaricom. The telecommunications firm on Friday sent home a hundred of its staff in what it termed a strategic organizational restructuring to improve efficiency across function. The latest redundancy adds to the 60 others that the telco let go in January last year. Nigeria's efforts to secure funds from international lenders to help haul it out of a recession have stalled. This because it has not submitted the required economic reform plans. The government has been in loan talks with the World Bank for a year, Sile Zuma reports. It had told the lender it would present its proposed reforms to make the economy more resilient and attractive to investment by the end of December. But this has not happened and as a result of the delay, which the government has not explained, the Washington-based bank has not been able to consider a loan yet. Nigerian Finance Minister Kemia Odiasan and the World Bank declined to comment. South Africa's headline consumer inflation has accelerated to 6.8% year-on-year in December. Economist Paul by Reuters had focused a 6.5% year-on-year inflation. On a month-on-month basis, inflation quickened to 0.4% from 0.3% previously. Now your financial indicators, the dollar trading at 13.54, South African rands at 10.47, Botswana Pula and 9.87, Zambian Kwacha also trading at 0.822, the British pound and 0.93 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,215, platinum $977 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil is at $55.72 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now. Sports update this hour. I'm figuring Starting off with football news, PA Emerick Obemayang and Jose Gabon vowed to put a poor start to the Africa Cup of Nations behind them and beat Burkina Faso tonight in the second series of Group A matches. A Panthers team captained by the Borussia Dortmund star striker conceded a last minute goal to only draw one all with Minos Guinea Bissau in the tournament opener. With four-time champions Cameroon held one all by Burkina Faso later on Saturday, every team has one point and identical goal records going into the second round of group games. Gabon and Burkina Faso clash at 1800 hours Central African time in the 40,000-seat Stade Almite in Libreville, followed by Cameroon against Guinea-Bissau three hours later. South African senior women's national team Manyana Manyana will face France in an international friendly at the Saint-Denis in Reunion Island on Sunday at 1900 hours Central African time. This will be the second time the two nations meet with Manyana suffering 3-2 defeat during the first encounter in 2009. Le Bleu are ranked third in FIFA rankings while Banyana occupy 51st spot. National team interim coach Desiree Ellis. Well, last year we were fortunate to play the USA, um, also other countries in the top 20, and this opportunity very early in the in the year, playing the number three ranked um, 
it's always good to play against these teams because uh, when we go to our African competitions, it's also high level, but you learn to play under the pressure. And um, with, with all due respect, Cecil has been fantastic in, in having the league. But the pressure that you're under in a Cecil game is so small that when you get to international game, you get the same opportunity, but you're not able to finish it. And so um, having to play under the high pressure, having to be organised under the high pressure, um, creating opportunities and then very organised at the back. Um, they like to play quick, um, very organised in, in the midfield, midfield as well. Um, wingers are quick as well. Um, the striker up front makes good runs, um, and uh, also they push up, push up very, very high with with the midfielders. So hopefully we are open to exploit those spaces when we win the ball. Alice has stressed the importance of a team finding the back of the net more often in matches. The biggest problem, well, not our problem only, but a South African problem, putting the ball in the back of the net, and uh, that is one of the biggest things we will be working on over the next year. Um, is to improve the ratio of getting shots on target because if you get it on target, you have an opportunity to score. Um, at the AWC, uh, we calculated we had over 80 scoring opportunities and by scoring only five, that's not the ratio that you, that you want. So to get more shots on target and hopefully score more goals. A stakeholders meeting to review the National Olympic Committee of Kenya, NOC draft constitution, have stripped off the NOC executive voting powers during the Electoral Congress. In a move that should usher in a new era, NOC president has also been stripped of the powers to break the tie in case of a tie and instead a runoff will be called. The International Olympic Committee, IOC, had recommended some of these changes to the NOC constitution that is currently under review but not kept them a secret. The current electoral congress has 33 voters, 21 from federations, 12 from executive committee and one IOC member. Finally, with tennis news, defending champion Angelique Kerber survived an onslaught from fellow German Katerina Wittehoft to advance to the Australian Open third round. Kerber, top seed at the Grand Slam for the first time, struggled with a serve in a second set tie break before prevailing 6-2, 6-7, 3-6 and 6-2. A top seed who was 29 on Wednesday faces Czech Kristina Pliskova next. Venus Williams advanced 6-3 and 6-2 against Swiss qualifier Stefani Vogel to reach the third round for the 13th time. That's your Sport News this hour.
Ze voelde het me van die nacht Ik deed het nou voor haar gaan staan En al wat zij wil doen is zij wil dansen, dansen Altijd blijven dansen Vraag haar niet waarom Zij danst tot die ochtend komt Door de tijd, ze zag de wereld branden, de fakkels in Berlijn, oorlog, waanzin, muren, dictatuur. Ze is nergens lang gebleven, want ze wilde bewegen. Zij mag dansen, dansen, altijd blijven. 